Sephora stores are everywhere you are. So just pop in when you need a brown lip to match your 90s playlist, a confidence boost before your interview, or a last-minute gift for mom's birthday. There's always a Sephora near you. Just pop in. Use our store locator to find your local Sephora or Sephora at Kohl's. Welcome to the Honest Field Guide podcast, a weekly show dedicated to winning in entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Ginger Birkenbuehl. I'm the CEO of Burt Creative, a leadership, brand strategy, and visual identity agency dedicated to helping scale brands and assist with their adaptability with the market. On my show, you get to eavesdrop in on intimate conversation with business leaders and inspired entrepreneurs designed to give you tips and strategies so your own business can thrive. Subscribe and join me each week for laughter, inspiration, and honest stories. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to my show, the Honest Feel Guy podcast. I am Ginger Birkenbuehl. I am so excited you're here. You could be anywhere in the world online, but you're choosing to listen and subscribe to my show. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to my show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can listen anywhere, Google Podcasts as well. Tell your friends about the podcast. The more people that know about my show, the better for my guests, but also for me. So please, please share. So Okay. I know that I did my most recent podcast on NFTs. I interviewed Giovanna's son and she's an amazing artist in the NFT space doing amazing things. She is one of the few women and she's a woman of color in the space. I promise my podcast is not turning into an NFT podcast. I promise. I promise. I promise. I'm going in a little bit of a rabbit hole on the NFT space and I'm fascinated. Um, morbidly fascinated a little bit, but I'm also creatively fascinated. So it's like both. I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm heading towards a train wreck or if I'm heading towards like the promised land, like I can't figure it out. But right now I'm actually talking to a man in Chicago who has launched the very first physical space for NFTs in Chicago. And here's the deal. Like I was running one day and I'm like, oh my God, what is that gallery across the street? I'm looking in the window. I'm like, oh my God, there's some really cool stuff on the wall and it's NFT. And I'm looking up like, what is an NFT? And here is a gallery for NFTs. Matt was in there. Matt Shapiro's the owner. And I was looking in the window and, and he comes out and he's like, would you like to come in? I'm like, really? And I said, absolutely. So I walked in, checked out the art. I think it was the first week at OP that had just opened. And we had a little conversation. I was like, oh my God, like, can you please come on my show? And I want to talk to you about what's happening in NFTs, but I really want to understand what the heck is going on with you here in Chicago. So here we are today with Matt Shapiro. And just let me say this. And I said this last time, if you don't know what an NFT is, please please type in what is an NFT. That's N as in Nancy, F as in Frank, T as in Tom. Please type it in Google and you will get a million pages at this point about an NFT, right? So we're really not going to get into what an NFT is because that's not what the show is about. This is a conversation with Matthew Shapiro. His background is in digital strategy. He segued into blockchain consulting when he discovered the metaverse a few years ago. He took his passion for crypto curiosity. He's been building community and digital discovery so he co-founded the I'm Not Art Gallery, which is Chicago's first physical NFT gallery. And the important word is physical because NFTs are actually not physical, but they can be. So today we're going to really talk about 
creating and selling NFTs, we are definitely going to talk about getting more people of color into the NFT space and how we can do that. I mean, Chicago is, in my humble opinion, a black city. So we really need to understand what Matt is doing to help be more inclusive in this really like super futuristic world that we're about to talk about. So anyway, we're going to learn today from Matthew about what the actual heck is going on. Matt, welcome to the Honest Field Guy podcast. Thank you so much, Ginger. So happy to be here with you. You know, from that day that we met a couple months ago, it's kind of wild, kind of where the gallery is now. And <laughs> so happy to tell our story and kind of like explain a little bit about what this larger movement is. And so, yeah, thanks again for having me. I love it. So your space in NFT is about the art space, right? It's not about the technology underneath it, or maybe it is, but my conversation with you is about the art side. But are you an artist? Like, are you involved in art outside of this? Do you paint? Do you draw? Like, what is your early background in art? Yeah. So myself, I'm, I'm not an artist, not a, a graphic designer. I think I've got a good eye for that stuff. I'm a collector. That's really where it comes from. And I also come from a bit of an art family. So I've just been kind of grown up around that where, you know, when we go to museums when we were younger and kind of like the appreciation of kind of art history has always been something that I've been interested in. And so, yeah, not really kind of an artist myself, which is why it is a little strange that here I am having opened the first you know NFT art gallery in Chicago. But it's kind of a perfect combination, I think, of art and technology, which are really like two of my main passions. You mentioned you're a collector. So what does that mean you were a collector as a child? Sure. Well, as a child, it was more kind of maybe vicariously through my parents, like who were building their own kind of like art collection. And again, nothing like major on those scales. But, you know, when we'd introduce a new piece or you go to like an art fair, you know, we'd do that and we'd pick out art. And, you know, my sister and I, we'd be able to be part of those decisions. I think on like a collectible side, which I think NFTs have a lot of overlap with, I was always interested in early baseball cards and, and, and that type of stuff as it kind of went down. Do you still have them? Yeah, I still have them. Magic cards, like the the old yeah. games. Like, yeah, you know, like I'm 34 now. And that age group, like I think had a bunch of those types of games around there. I remember Pogs as well. Not really cards, but still like collecting those things. When you were a kid, did you want to be an artist? Were you just like, I wish I could draw? Like, were you trying to draw? And then you just sort of were either um, like what happened in school when you were trying to draw? Or were you even trying to or not? Like, what was that like? I tried. I tried. And I, I fancied myself maybe as an artist when I was younger, <laughs> but there is an element of talent required. Oh, so, really? <laughs> uh, yeah. Believe it or not, Jinja, you know, that, that's what I learned. And that was a harsh realization as like a fourth grader. Uh, but no, it just was never really my thing. And, and, and to be honest, it was like computers were, were always my thing. And so this is growing up in an age, like even like before Windows, when your first laptop was on DOS, and then you have like the early Windows, Windows 95. Oh, and, dude. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Way back. Throwback. Right. And so I think that's actually like formulated a lot of my thoughts about kind of new technology and what's possible with all this stuff. Because being in this age, I think you get a good perspective of kind of what the world was like a little bit before the internet really took off. And then kind of the technologies that kind of were part of that evolution. So I think some of that context, I think, has been really valuable in terms of thinking about where this technology and where the internet specifically is going to go over the next, you know, five, 10 plus years. Right. So I love that you mentioned the word collector because I do believe that your artistry can come in the collection, right? You mentioned that you believe you have an eye to see things. And I think that does start from the appreciation of art in the beginning, which your parents, you know, gave you that appreciation for art. I mean, I do think that sort of that early exposure is critical. I think one of the reasons why I want to talk to you is that there are people in this NFT space that don't have an eye. They're not creative. 
but they're still in it. I think people that have your background are better situated for the future and also for helping other people come into the space and and create and figure out how to convert what they're doing to a digital space. You know, you used to be in the media space. Can you talk a little bit about your experience in that? Because that, that to me is the entry point to technology. I think people don't realize sometimes that when you're in spaces like search optimization, that that's actually the future. You're working in technology and you're going knee deep in it. And I think that's a really great bridge to what you're doing now. But can you talk a little bit about your career before the gallery? Sure. Yeah. So I'm actually a college dropout. Um, no, you're and, not. Oh my yeah, God. Seriously? Yeah, believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> and, and which is interesting because my dad is in academics. And so he's like an administrator. Your parents must have been like, oh my God, what is happening? What was that like? Yes. There were questions. And oh, there yeah. was, you know, <laughs> no doubt. But I really think they've been just tremendously supportive through my journey, which very much was kind of my own. You know, I was really interested in kind of the, in the internet and specifically like how things are discovered online which is really important to really any business really over the last, since I started that 15 years ago, has really continued to evolve. And so I ended up dropping out. I was going to uh, USC at the time in, in Los Angeles. And I started working for this startup company that was basically helping promote video content and create viral videos. So they would work with brands and the brands agencies who were making like their traditional TV spots, but didn't know how to make like a viral video or a viral hit. So how did you go from college at USC, which is a phenomenal school that's almost impossible to get into, to dropping out, to then going to work for a company that makes viral videos. Like, you know, what's that journey? How did you do that? One word, Craigslist. Is that right? Are you serious? You were on Craigslist? Oh my God. You're the second person on my show that's told me about a Craigslist ad that they got a job at. I was on Craigslist. And honestly, Craigslist has been almost a theme throughout my life in different ways. Even the gallery that I'm sitting in today, I found on Craigslist, uh, believe it or not. I want to really you know, get into the details a little bit on this because a lot of people are trying to figure out what the heck they should be doing with their lives if they're in the right spaces. And you're describing something that a lot of parents expect us to do. We're supposed to go to college. We're supposed to get a degree. We're supposed to get a job. You did not do that. So what was happening that made you not take that path? Like what were some of the signs you were getting that were leading you to a different place? Really what it was, was the stuff that I was interested in was kind of the internet and the evolution of the internet at the time. This is a time where Facebook had just spread to allow all kind of like high school students in it, where it started initially as college and then expanded to high school certain businesses before it became what it is today. And so I was just really interested in kind of this new technology and what it enabled in terms of like human communication. And so USC, great school. And I wanted to kind of look at, were they teaching anything related to that type of stuff that I was interested in? My theory was that if you look back in like in 10, 20 plus years, people are going to look at internet history, early internet history as incredibly like important in terms of how all this ended up playing out. So you were thinking about that then when you were in school. Yeah, I was writing like just on my own, like essays about why I think Facebook was going to like corrupt society, basically. Oh my goodness. And this goodness. was like with very early. And so it's been kind of a journey to see all that actually obviously to play out. But my suspicion and my theory was that a more like permission-based network where Facebook just wants to show everything to everybody, you know, they want to make money off of you. But if there was a more permission-based network, you know, what if there was a better system or something that I was really passionate about at the time and kind of looking at that. And what year was that? Uh, 2009. Oh my goodness. That was really in the very beginning. Okay. So then like, you're just like, okay, I am passionate and fascinated by this and I'm in school right now and nobody's talking about this and nobody's doing this. So 
I'm going to go on Craigslist and look for something. I mean, where the, <laughs> please find the, the hidden link like, for me. I guess it was just that school in the kind of the typical sense just wasn't fulfilling my curiosity and like what I really wanted to do. And I was really passionate about kind of how the internet was evolving and kind of where it was going and wanted to work in the space to kind of learn a little bit more about how it works. And I'd always been interested in kind of when you do a Google search, like what comes up and why. And when I found an opportunity to work for a place that was kind of in that, I thought, you know, that's a skill that if I learned, it's not something that they're teaching in schools. So there's just was a gap where the professors that were teaching these skills to people to succeed in the digital economy, the new digital economy, the professors just didn't have like the experience or background to do it. I'm not saying that to everybody. It doesn't apply to everyone. But from going in as a freshman and having all these prerequisites and, and basically feeling like I was being like cookie cutter into all these different things and, and not able to really just focus in on what I think would be skills that would be valuable kind of in this new digital economy. I love it because I, for a very long time, have been like having conversations with people and even people in the education space that our educational systems are not designed, prepared or really interested in, you know, helping young people with curious minds be ready for the future. I mean, they're really focusing on World War II economy, which has nothing to do with technology and innovation and things like that. I mean, it's absolutely true. And I do sometimes ask myself, do I really want to send my kids to college? And if they're going, are they going to be either creators, which is powerful, or are they going to go into a machine and be a cog, which ultimately means you're a slave? I mean, that's literally what it is. I mean, so I'm really making sure that my kids are positioned to be creators. I mean, they're naturally creators anyway. I'm fortunate. I'm so glad to have that. But I love that you were able to not be afraid. I mean, you had a place of fearlessness and your parents must have supported you in that space because I can't imagine that the job you took was something that was paying you six or seven figures a year. Indeed not. No, especially not, not in the beginning. You're like, oh no, like indeed we're... not, Ginger. Indeed in not. Indeed not, Ginger. No, no, no. Yeah. I mean, it was still kind of like scrappy. And I do think like without my parents' support, and they really were kind of like a backbone. And I recognize that not everybody has that. So my journey is a journey of privilege in that aspect. And that I knew that, it, not that they were happy with my decisions and not that I wasn't like, you know, really kind of putting myself in a position where I had to either sink or swim. But I knew that I had a family there that if I needed to end up going back into school or if I really wasn't able to kind of take this dream and make it a reality, that I wouldn't be completely on my own, which is not the case for everybody. Right. And your parents also wouldn't, you know, cut you off if you made that decision. I mean, there's some parents that, you know, cut their kids off and they literally like, you know what, you're out. And that's that's tough, too. So I'm really excited to hear about that. I, I wish that you know, more families, especially when you have a creative thinker or a divergent thinker, which is what you are, we're more supportive of their children. Because I think that we'd be a lot further ahead in the world and civilization if, you know, divergent thinking was, was championed and people would just be free, let to be free to create the things that they're creating. So then you took this job and you started doing what, I mean, just like a real high level, fast story about what that looked like, because I do want to get to your I'm Not Art Gallery. Yeah. So it was a startup company and I was starting as kind of like an intern. I just wanted to get my foot in the industry, work for a startup company and be able to learn and kind of do some cool stuff. And I had a really technical background just in terms of like, you know, I played video games. So I, I was pretty good with like systems and always willing to learn. Wow. 
you have a technical background because you played video games. What does that mean? There's a lot of different elements, I think, within a video game that really do prepare you for success, like when you go into kind of like the professional world. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I think it, it really helps with tactical and strategy, but then also kind of like leadership. So the games that I would play were all group games where you have like a team of five people and I would be kind of the the strat caller, the strategy caller. So you're coordinating your team to do different things, whether you're an attack or defense. You know, I help kind of drive the strategic decision-making and the in-game decisions. And now I'm leading the team of I'm not art and trying to kind of like do those same thing. It's not in a video game attack defense scenario, but you know, how do I make the most of the team I have around me? How do I make sure that the communication is open and honest? How do I get ahead if somebody's attitude is starting to turn? Because whether you're playing a game that ends in an hour or you're building a business that's you want to last a lifetime, you need to be identifying when team members are having doubts or team members are not feeling it in that way. It's the same kind of concept. And so I think that's kind of led to a lot of my leadership skills actually coming from video game. And some of those people that I started playing with basically when I was like 16, 17 years old are part of I'm Not Art today. And that's no what's way. That's really been crazy. Yes, indeed. So wait, wait, who are these people? Are these people that you just met randomly online or are these people that you knew already and you played with them on the game? So there was this community of people that met just through the game. It's kind of how it started. Like one of the main developers on, on I'm Not Art is from that era. So that I, is I've incredible. known since I'm 16. It's almost 20 years ago. Okay, so I'm trying to just sort of understand how you transitioned to this because a lot of people that have come into the space, they came in in very interesting ways. You know, hearing something, reading something, you came in through working on something, you're a gamer. So what was sort of the transition? So it actually goes back into video games. The video game that I play with my friends primarily was a game called Counter-Strike. And they started offering basically in-game items and limited edition in-game items that very much mirror the concept of like NFT drops today. And they said, hey, during this tournament we're having, there's a couple day period where you can buy these stickers and these stickers you can use in the game. And I had this idea. And at the time, like I didn't have a bunch of money. So like I had, I think it was like maybe $200. And it was for me, it was incredibly significant. And I put it in to these stickers. I was just like, I'm going to buy a bunch of these stickers because they're limited edition. And so I bought a couple hundred dollars worth of those stickers. And then those stickers have since become basically like the Mickey Mantle rookie, Babe Ruth rookie cards like of that game. So wait, what does that mean though? They've become the Ricky Mantle. So they're incredibly rare and they're the most valued items within kind of like the, the entire game. Do you own them? Kind of. But at any point, the game developer can take them away from me. They can say, oh, Matt, you were cheating. I'm taking away all your item. And so when you're dealing with NFTs, it's the actual ownership of those assets. So the stickers I own within an account that is managed by this corporation, the NFTs I own are actually, nobody can take them away from me because I own them. And that's kind of the innovation. So how, I mean, how much are they worth? What does valuable mean in that context? Not the NFT context, but in that context. Yeah, it went crazy. And this is what I saw also like with Ethereum, not with NFTs, but it went from basically like the initial investment of like $200 to, to like six figures, like really low six figures. And what's the currency? So it's transacted on the Steam market, which is the company that creates the game. And so you can get it in basically value that then you can spend on other games or other items. Can you sell it and get cash? Yes, you can. Oh my God. No, I was just kidding. Are you serious? Yeah. And actually, that's, I sold one sticker and I took my girlfriend at the time, now wife, we went to Columbia for like the best trip of our lives. So when was this? So 2014 is when I bought the stuff. And then when I went, my wife, I think it was 2018, 
was when we went to Columbia. I mean, so, you know, 2014, I'm trying to figure out what was I doing in 2014? Like what were, what was everyone doing in 2014? You know what I mean? Like you were like, whatever that was, you were not doing it. You're like, I am over here. I'm in the future. And believe it or not, I'm buying some stickers for 200 bucks. And I'm sure in the time you weren't thinking, you know, six figures, but that is completely incredible to me. And, you know, again, I, I say to myself, people are not awake. They're sleeping. They're sleeping. They're sleeping on a lot of opportunity because they're not curious. And I think that's sort of the benchmark of success for any entrepreneur that I've ever met is that they have an insatiable curiosity and they have a fearlessness about wanting to take chances and take risks, but they also have a foundation, whether it's their family or their community that allows them to take those risks without repercussion, without being ostracized from the community or the family. They're just like, you know, we believe in you. We're not sure what you're doing. We think you're a little crazy, but you know, we're not going to stop you because, you know, number one, I don't have time, but number two, what am I going to do here? Like what, why are, what are we trying to do? Like just let you be, you know, and that's really an important I think, characteristic of success for anyone that's an entrepreneur or just wanting to launch any type of business. You have to have those characteristics. So, okay. I mean, I could spend a lot of time talking about all this money you made and how you went to Columbia with your wife and like all because of a $200 investment in a damn digital sticker, which is crazy talk, crazy talk. But fast forward and you're gonna have to write a book or something because this is fascinating, but fast forward, like, okay, so your gallery, I'm not art gallery. So somehow you got inspired to open this gallery. What is the thing that said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to open this gallery. Like, what was the, the spark? Honestly, like in, in the same way that I saw this opportunity back in like 2009, where I felt like the internet was just like an evolving and I wanted to kind of just dive in with both feet. I think we're going through a similar moment right now where the internet is literally evolving. And to me, although it is an NFT gallery and that's kind of like the entry point that a lot of new people have to the space, to me, it's, it's really like the underlying technology that's happening and kind of what that means for the internet and for humanity in general, that to me is by far the most exciting. And so the stickers kind of got me set up to a point where then I could start investing in like cryptocurrencies, which was really a good opportunity. And so I got really into Ethereum in like 2016. And I was just kind of blown away by what it can mean in terms of what you can build on top of it. And I just got so passionate and kind of just like immersed myself with everything that's happening in Ethereum. So these are all the thoughts that are happening and you're thinking, and then, you know, what was happening that you said, I'm going to open a gallery? The plan was never to open a physical gallery. The plan was to create something that could combine or connect artists with programmers to be able to create NFTs like in this space. You know, you have artists that don't understand like this component of it. And then it really maybe it speaks more to the people on the technical side. And a lot of the people that have success in the NFT space are technical. They're artistic and they're technical so they can do it. There's a massive opportunity to kind of combine those things. What if you can bring on like traditional artists or artists from other mediums that don't know how to get in the space and then work with them to create NFTs, to create drops, connect them with programmers that can create the smart contracts. And basically that was the original idea of I'm not art. It's kind of connecting artists with programmers and be able to kind of create stuff together in a way that we think can benefit for you know, the entire ecosystem. And when we had that idea, the idea was only to build like an, an online platform go to our page. You can mint work from artists. We'd be working with artists and kind of connecting people. And the first pivot we took was really in, into the metaverse. And so for those that don't know, the metaverse is basically this like player-owned world slash video game. And so that's why it's very natural to myself and my team where that's our background. And so 
We saw that in this metaverse called CryptoVoxels, that's where people were actually displaying NFTs. And if we were creating a company in the space, combining artists and programmers to create NFTs, we wanted to showcase it in the way that you know people were doing it like at the time. And NFTs are non-fungible tokens. And when you're talking about displaying NFTs, you're talking about a virtual gallery, a digital space where people can you know, use their avatar to enter, to walk around and see art on a wall in a digital space, almost like virtual reality, like going into like a game, like going into a game and and watching yourself walk through the streets with a gun (laughs) shooting people, but you're actually walking through a space and looking at art on a wall. Is that a good way to explain it? That's a perfect way to explain it. Yeah. And and no guns in crypto voxels, completely, (laughs) completely family friendly. Yeah. Yikes. But yeah, no, I think it's like, it really opened my eyes in terms of what is possible in terms of building community. It's like a game type that's never existed yet, a game that's really owned by the players and a game about artistic expression. And one of our community members, Christy O'Meara, she goes by Pattern Base, she had a great quote. We did a, a featured virtual gallery exhibition for her. And she said like, all my life I was waiting for like a video game where I could share art with my friends and make friends and look at art. And that's like what CryptoVoxels is. And so it's a very natural environment for a lot of the artists and creators in the space because they can build in this larger community of people that are creating their own galleries. And what we noticed as we decided to buy land in the metaverse was that because it's a player-owned world, a lot of artists were priced out of being able to buy their own gallery. So we saw an opportunity to create something called Community Gallery. And that's really where I'm not art you know, evolved was this idea. We're going to build an online platform, but now we're going to actually create this metaverse gallery and we're going to call it community gallery and we're going to have it open for submissions. And every week we would curate an exhibition. And so that's where we started kind of in the metaverse. And that concept was about building community because blockchain is all about community and and these projects are all about community. So you created a metaverse and then you decided, I want to actually have a physical space And I want to, what, show the digital art that would normally be in the metaverse on the walls of my gallery using XYZ technology? And the second part of my question is, why in the world in Chicago? I mean, seriously, like what is, (laughs) that's a two-part question. I love them. And I actually think the answer is all one and the same. And so what we noticed is we were having a lot of success in the metaverse with people that wanted to be part of this community. Every Thursday, we would have the event and we'd have a bunch of people who would show up. We would talk with a couple of different artists. We'd have a featured artist. We kept expanding it. And it really became this kind of weekly show that a lot of people wanted to kind of tune in for. And what we noticed was there was a crazy overrepresentation of people from Chicago. And that is where the spark started was like, we need to have something physical. And it was less about having a place that we can put the same art virtually as physically and more about having like a meeting space for this community that was growing to kind of all come together. I mean, but Chicago of all places, I mean, seriously, like I just feel like, you know, Chicago, 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 there's so much, so much chaos and baggage and lots of beauty and joy, but there's also a lot of confusion and don't send nobody that nobody didn't send. I mean, there's just so much crazy happening here. What do you see in this city that makes you think you can be successful here? I mean, I know the metaverse is not location-based, right? But you have a gallery in Chicago that at the moment, we don't really have leadership in Chicago that is super pro-art. Like we used to, but it really hasn't happened for a long time. But now, you know, we're in tougher times, right? There's a lot of really crazy things happening in the United States, in the world, in Chicago, What makes you think you're going to be able to make this successful here? Yeah, it's a good question. I think there's a natural desire that people in Chicago have to want to build something here, especially in the art space. 
I think Chicago, despite the amazing museums that are here, is so often kind of like overlooked and dismissed as kind of the conversation kind of groups up in New York and Miami and Los Angeles. Especially the NFT space. I mean, really, the NFT space is, seems to be limited, or at least at the moment, to L.A. and New York. Yeah. So I think the artists and the creatives in the space all really want to put Chicago on the map. And we see this opportunity in this digital space and NFTs to really do so. And so the reaction we've gotten from the artists, also the reaction we've got just from the press and just from general people is that, like we were talking with Built in Chicago, talking with some local publications, there's just like, everybody talks about Groupon was started in Chicago. Shit, that was like 15 years ago or something. But there is an opportunity to build something here that is really special. And I think as this movement is just kind of getting started, like, you know, globally and across the country, there's an opportunity we see to make Chicago one of the big kind of destination places for NFTs. I love it. You mentioned a movement. What kind of movement are you referring to in the United States? So it's this movement of this creation of these physical spaces, whether they're NFT galleries, oh. they're venues for physical digital experience. Okay. It's basically, it's the evolution of, I think, going from like Web 2, where you have like Facebook and Instagram to like to Web 3, these new types of websites and applications that the world hasn't even seen yet. And so there's going to be a need for these kind of social hubs. And that's kind of what's been created here is that we've created this like cultural social hub and really this community that looking at some of the other cities, even though they have galleries and they have stuff going on, I'm not seeing like as organic of a community, as diverse of a community as we're building here. And that's because our approach is also not just to build a club for the crypto elite, you know, our goal is to onboard and to educate people responsibly, which I think is a really important thing. And there's a lot of people in the space and companies in the space, they want you to get cryptocurrency and they want to take it from you, basically. Like that's the game where our point of view is if you don't have any cryptocurrency, specifically like Ethereum, then we don't want you to buy our products with the first Ethereum you get, which is like a completely counter stance that you'd think for someone that's running an NFT gallery. Because what we want to do is really build a community that has success in this new digital world that we're all building together. And so advising people that if they want to buy an NFT, make sure that you have the same amount of Ethereum just kind of held over here. Like just put it on the side. It's kind of like the advice that we give, which I think is different than a lot of the other communities, which gives us organic kind of look and feel. Yeah, I mean, the whole like Ethereum conversation is another conversation that we definitely have to have <laughs> on another day because that is another deep rabbit hole of confusion. They saw the skies Getting back to your gallery. So you are building in Chicago because there's obviously opportunity you clearly see gaps here that can be filled and you're the first one. So that's always good to be the first. You mentioned diversity and community. One of the things that I've noticed about the entire sort of, not just the NFT space, but the cryptocurrency space in general, you know, there's a dark side to it of like potential, you know, people that are trying to steal all your money and get your seed, <laughs> your seed phrase and all that stuff. But there's also, you know, people that have jumped into cryptocurrency because it was very early and black people actually, because they could, and it was wide open and available and it was affordable as opposed to, you know, traditional banking, I guess. And also just seems to be not as many rules in the environment, right? In the cryptocurrency space. And that's a good thing because, you know, the whole idea behind blockchain is decentralized everything. But what is your gallery doing or what is it trying to do or can it do anything in terms of democratizing access to this concept. It's really a concept right now, right? Democratizing the concept by 
being inclusive and encouraging and open and wanting to, you know, not only bring in black people, which I think need to be brought in, you know, just from an innovation standpoint and creativity and art and things like that, but even women. So what are you kind of doing in your space to make people say, please come to me? Like we're here working together to collaborate. I mean, are you even collaborating? Yeah, we're definitely collaborating. And I think that the community that is kind of organically built around what we're doing, and we use Discord as kind of like the community building area, is incredibly diverse from all different ways, you know, from a gender, race, sexuality. And it's really great to see kind of just how diverse. And I think the space in general is incredibly open, you know, for that. I think the people that don't kind of line up with that, they're very much kind of like cast aside. And so I think that's something that we really want to do and focus on. We want the exhibitions and the creators that we work with to show the same level of diversity of the community that we're building at large. And, you know, I think that what we've learned is that you really have to go and kind of seek out the people that we want to make our community as diverse as it is kind of what we're building online. And is that because they are not finding you and you have to be more intentional about it? I mean, I love the idea of being intentional versus just sitting there hoping people will come. Like you're actually, you have a strategy to say, you know what, we actually have to do this because what? Like, why are you deciding to do that? Because it sounds like you actually care. Yeah, I really do care. And it's a part of the ethos of I'm Not Art to have you know representation and to be giving opportunities to people that deserve it, to people that are too often overlooked. And there's ways that you can do that just in terms of the people that are wanting to work with us. But I think it also requires a bit of proactiveness. And I think that we're trying to do that in, in a couple of different ways. You know, one is with kind of the existing crypto artists that are out there uh, specifically reaching out and trying to do group shows, solo shows. And then also on the traditional artist side, like, and this is where I think goes back to the beginning of I'm Not Art, is how do we bring on traditional artists to kind of create NFTs, specifically working with people that we think do bring that diversity of thought and, and opinion and work to the space. And I think that there's a lot of ways that we can continue to be proactive in terms of doing better and to create kind of a calendar of events that we think is really allowing artists that we really believe in their cause and in what they're doing to kind of get that spotlight on them and, and have success in the, in the NFT space. One artist that we're kind of finalizing the drop on is this guy named uh, Brendan Fernandez. He's got a, a just tremendous background and story. We wrote this vision post and that was one of the, the pillars of what we're doing is kind of like, you know, bringing that level of diversity that we think is missing from the space in many different ways. Is this person from Chicago? And is that the strategy is to really try to tap into the Chicago market first and then build from there? Or what's the sort of strategy around location? Because Metaverse is not location based at all. But your physical space is. I mean, it's here in Chicago. Yeah, we definitely are focusing on Chicago. I don't think everything we do is going to be from Chicago. And the idea being like, can we create these exhibitions that are at the caliber of a fine art, you know, gallery show exhibition and, and do them here? And that was kind of why we built the gallery the way we did, why we wanted to hide all of the wires. We wanted the big displays is we wanted to be able to give Brendan and future artists this place where they can really have an exhibition, uh, which we hadn't really seen anywhere. It's a beautiful space. The ceilings are high. It's on Ashland, which is a great walking, driving street. You know, the signage stands out. You look in the windows and you see this colorful, bright, shining, luminescent artwork coming from the walls. It feels so interesting. It's like this little pocket of like 2001 Space Odyssey in like, you know, <laughs> you know, the, the ape age. It's crazy. You know what I mean? It really feels like that, which it's a good thing because it really is a future forward experience. And I'm also curious, 
you're looking at Chicago artists, you're trying to cultivate Chicago artists, you're trying to bring some artists into the future to even help them understand there are potential revenue streams for you that are fully within your control. Do you have conversations with artists around how this actually will liberate them from being owned? All the time. Yeah. And definitely like in the beginning part of those conversations with traditional artists that are skeptical of space. And it's natural to be skeptical. You know, you're an artist and these NFTs, people are making all this money from it. Is it even real art? What does it even mean? How does my art translate to that medium? Like if I did get involved, is it almost like low effort? Is it almost, does it feel like a cash grab? Well, it is for some. I think that's damaging some of us artists where I don't want this to be a cash grab. A hundred percent not. And we don't want to work with artists that are viewing it as such. We want to work with people that are beyond not just viewing it as a cash grab, but are actually able to build community around what they're doing. Because that's what these NFTs and like one really awesome element of how this is working is that the connection between artists and collector has never been closer. And the opportunity for artists to create community around what they're doing has never been kind of easier or easier to facilitate. And so we want to align ourselves with artists that are not only looking at this as kind of real legitimate mediums for their work and creating like legitimate work that they stand behind, but also people that are wanting to support, you know, greater causes or build community around their goals and what they're doing. And that's, you know, how we're kind of viewing who we want to work with, you know, as we're going forward. So I love this conversation. I am always struggling with how to get Black artists and Black people, whether they're artists or not, how to get Black thinkers and leaders to understand and embrace what you're building. I find pockets of them when I'm listening to Clubhouse conversations or when I'm listening to Twitter spaces, I hear Black voices and I feel like they're shouting in a wilderness because of the money grab versus the social justice economic potential of (laughs) this environment we're in. And it feels to me like the money's going to win. Yeah, I think that there's a way that you can make money, you can raise money, and you can do it all in a way that really supports the artist and supports the artist's vision around what they stand for and what they're trying to do. So the example is with Brendan, his background is in dance. And he has this concept of creating this kind of dance fund. Uh, he feels like a lot of the dancers are like severely underpaid. Obviously, with COVID, it's a big problem for creatives and for entertainers. And I think that working with people that see that bigger picture is ultimately what the patrons of the space are going to be putting the money into. And that's kind of our theory and what we've seen kind of prove so far is that like the crypto patrons, they need an avenue to kind of support artists and support these artists' causes. And we try to kind of facilitate that and kind of get some of that new crypto money to people that have made just unbelievable amounts of money. How do they funnel it back into the ecosystem by spreading that ether, literally spreading the crypto that they have, you know, into communities that, you know, maybe wouldn't be exposed to it. And talking again about your concept of like, how do you bring these people together? We're working on this drop with this artist named Logic, and he's got a really, oh, you know Logic? Mm-hmm. Sure do. Awesome. Yeah. And so we were planning his event, an event called WTF or NFTs. Yep. I did a podcast. That was the title of my podcast with Giovanna Sun. Oh, no way. I love it. Well, I think that type of material and content, I think, is incredibly important. And the reason we built the galleries as such is that, like, I think this is actually the best place to learn about that is as you see this around and you can have these conversations with us. And so that's just critical to everything that we're doing is being able to do these onboarding things. How do you even maintain your focus on, you know, your original mission? Because it sounds like you're sort of expanding into more wraparound services for artists, which really is the long game. 
it is the long game. And I think like we're in such a transformative time that we really want to be thinking about how do we build these systems that can really maximize like in, in all areas in terms of the support that we can give. And so what we often do is like we think big and then we build towards it in increments. Why do you care? It sounds like you're talking about concepts around equity and inclusion. Why do you even care about this? I mean, why does this really matter to you? I mean, I think I'm listening to you speak and I want, I do want you to answer the question, but when I'm listening to you talk about this, I also realize when I think about economic justice, especially for black people, not just all people of color, but black people in particular, it really does take somebody, a white guy to really care to say, look, before we go into this relationship with you, XYZ Corporation, this is our mission. This is our goal. And this is what's important to us. So if you're coming in with us and we're going to collaborate, you know, you have to also agree to do these things that we're trying to do. If you don't agree with us, then it's probably not a relationship that's a good fit. So that's a two-part question is one, why do you care? And two, is that kind of how you're leading conversations when you're going into these larger corporations to do partnerships? And then are you able to then bring that story back to the artist and say, look, we care. We're in partnership with large businesses and large funders that also care. So you're in a safe space, you're protected, and we're trying to help. Yeah, I love both those questions. And I saw it just with my own life. Before I was in Chicago, I was in New York and working at kind of DirecTV, a Discovery Channel. And just saying that the utter lack of diversity, like not even just at the C-suite, but even at kind of like director level. And to me, it's like, it's so clear that the cards are not all dealt fair. And I'm coming from someone that got really lucky with kind of how the cards play. And I think it's 100% enabled me to get to this point, you know, whether it was being able to quit school in 2009 or, you know, be able to kind of go this path that I've gone, I think is completely based off of just an opportunity that, you know, I'm very fortunate to have gotten. So I see we're living in kind of like a very unfair world. And I think a lot of the rules kind of continue to kind of like make it, you know, exacerbate that. And I see this opportunity with this kind of new kind of like cryptocurrency Web3 ecosystem where there is a tremendous opportunity where especially now while we're still so early, if you're able to educate and you're able to onboard people, like the playing field has never been more flat. Like you just need a computer. Anybody can write a smart contract. You know, the capital to get started, like now that we're living in this in these days, is is much less. And there's also ways that people can come together and pool funds to build things and have good causes. And so to me, that's why I'm running so fast at this, is because it's critical to onboard people now. But I mean, I think that one of the things that I know from my own experience in the corporate spaces is you have to educate the people that are cutting the checks or that have the money to support you in your vision. So you actually have to go in there very confidently and say, we actually have to work this way if we want this to be real. And that sets a line. You're like, this is a line. And, you know, I won't cross over to that side because it's important to me with what I'm building to ensure equity and access to what I'm doing. And so you have to help me do that. If you can't help me, then you're not the right partner for me. So I don't know if that's what you're trying to do with some of these other um, large funders, because I don't know if they care the way you care. And so I don't know if this is actually going to, you know, become the vision that people that have been early to the space want it to be, unless people like you are saying and educating, not just the artists to help them understand how to make money, but are educating the people with the money (laughs) that are helping you build the thing to help the artist get the money, right? Exactly. I think it's, it's both sides of it. And, and that's what I'm not trying to do is trying to get that together. What if we can onboard artists that don't have exposure or they like bring them on? And then what if you can kind of bring these crypto patrons, these collectors in, and they can kind of connect with these artists, you know, and the causes that they're trying to support. So I think that's like a very much like a cause-based concept. And we see this opportunity. There's also kind of like offshoots that we see. So like, I'm not our 
and again, like, you know, we have this vision for where it could go. And again, we take it one day at a time, but there's a concept of like not charity that we think we could have these kind of events. And again, charity is different than kind of, I think, a lot of the other models that we're talking about now. And we're even trying to have a spin on charity because we think charity often kind of leaves it short in terms of like, you know, full support and kind of empowerment because it's not charity. Like what we really want to do is like empower artists and creatives and kind of get them into the space and then connect them with the crypto patrons and kind of get that stuff going. You know, this has been such a great conversation. So in closing, I want to ask you just a couple things. What do you have in your gallery right now? Who is the artist? Um, who are you looking forward to that's coming into your studio or coming into your art space the most? So what we have right now in the gallery is our work from uh, Community Gallery 16. So it's the 16th event that we've done. And this work that we have up there, we're not making any money if, if it sells. That's another thing. Like when we did all that stuff in the metaverse from February to June, like we never took a dime. It was all just organic, trying to community building, sharing people's work and giving them a platform to tell their stories. So the stuff that we actually have up right now is from that event. And we've had a bunch of community members that participated in it come and check out their work and new people come in, they're interested in the work, we're able to tell them about it and link them out because they want to buy one of those things. And so that's what we have now. And then as far as what we're excited about, really looking forward to uh, the events that we're going to do with Logic. We think it works really well with kind of that ethos of, of trying to kind of bring in that kind of diverse community and kind of be able to explain to people that are trying to get into the space, whether it's buying an NFT, creating an NFT, like what this is about. And then that'll culminate with an actual drop event. It's going to be the first time that I'm not ever does any kind of like live local minting. So there's going to be an element where people in the community will get first access to his drop. He's just a great guy and um, he's been part of our community for a while and as we're trying to create that diversity and onboard this audience that we've been talking about, we couldn't find any better person to work with than Logic. You mentioned local-based minting. I love that. Is that a thing? Yeah. And it's going to be the first time that we've done it. But the idea being like, how can we reward his community? And that's really what he's trying to build with his whole concept. And so how can we reward people from the community, the people that are interested, that are putting their foot forward to learn about the space, maybe get a little uncomfortable, challenge maybe how they think about it, and then be able to reward them with first access to the drop that he's doing. And we're both really excited about that. It's a model that we think could be really successful in the future in terms of like, how do we really provide value you know, to this community. And that's what we're trying to do, whether it's local Chicago artists, um, kind of create these events that are able to kind of support local artists, but then also kind of be opportunities for people in the Chicago area to get their hands on something first that, that you know, the rest of the world has to wait for the public sale. Well, you know, Matthew, this has been terrific. I'm so grateful that um, I had the opportunity to talk to you. I'm excited about all the things that you're working on. I'm obsessed with you now and obsessed with your gallery. <laughs> I'm really, really excited about I'm Not Art Gallery. I cannot wait until the Logic Show. I feel like maybe, you know, your gallery will become and replace the Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs. That's me saying that, not you. So like, it'd be so great to like bring the whole art world of Chicago into a future. And, you know, there's multiple futures. There's not just one path to success. I mean, this is another option and another path to success. And this is still the early stages of this community and this technology and this concept and mindset. So there's so much room for more of us. Like you're not the only one. You don't have to be the only one. And I feel like I want to encourage anybody that wants to be a part of this to connect with 
Matt and learn more about his gallery and really follow his channels, his blogs, his other interviews that he's doing around the world. I'll have information in the show notes and you can you know learn more and, and get involved. And you can also, of course, go to the website, which I'm going to put in the show notes and buy some art from the gallery, right? I mean, buy some art and it's a process. Definitely you can't walk in with, you know, $100,000 in cash. I mean, it is a cryptocurrency environment, which is another conversation, but just want everybody to get involved. And for everyone in Chicago that's hearing this conversation and these concepts for the first time, please go visit Matt Shapiro's gallery on 1010 North Ashland, which is the intersection of Augusta and Ashland. It's almost kitty corner from Nike Vaughn's plant salon, which is amazing. My favorite black woman owned plant experience. It's really amazing. So please visit us. Thanks everybody for coming. And we will hopefully see you and talk to you and you can listen to my show next time. I'm Ginger. And I'm Matt. And Ginger, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. Have a great one, everybody. Peace out. Original music is written by and provided courtesy of Utah Carol. Follow Honest Field Guide on Instagram and Twitter. The opinions expressed on the Honest Field Guide are opinions only 